you're listening to the City Lights Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. I do want to say uh, thanks for this opportunity. And any of you who have ever uh, prepared a lesson or a, or a sermon or whatever it is, you know that that you get much more out of it than, than probably you guys will get more. I've gotten more preparing for this than, than I'm sure you guys will get out of it. Uh, and um, if you came today expecting to hear Oliver, um, who, by the way, is, has just been on fire the last uh, few months from his teaching and ju- just his leadership, um, and I just appreciate him so much. If you came to hear him, I'm, I'm sorry, because you're not going to hear... Um, what, what I have, have considered to be over the last few months just um, amazing teaching that just stirs my heart every, every time he speaks. So, um, but what you are going to hear, I hope, is the product of preparation um, for uh, the, the last half of uh, Ephesians 4. We're in the book of Ephesians and uh, we've been going through it kind of line by line, and that's what we're going to do a little bit this morning. Um, but I do want to say this, and I, I certainly don't want to sound too paternalistic because there are a lot of you out there who are older than I am, but, but um, this church has been through a lot in the last six months, and we've been through things that most churches, quite frankly, just wouldn't survive. Um, and most young churches would not survive it. And so, again, without, without sounding too paternalistic, I'm just so proud of this congregation and the leaders in this church and the congregation in general in being faithful and committed uh, members of, of this body of Christ. It's just, it, just how you supported the elders and the staff and the leaders. It's just unbelievable. And so just thank you so much. And... You know, in a lot of ways, as I was thinking about this lesson and going over Ephesians and, and thinking about what's been taught before this, I, you know, it occurred to me that in large part, the people who are sitting in this auditorium, in this theater, um, I'm doing what a lot, of, a lot of times Baptist preachers will say, I'm preaching to the choir, because most of you, if not all of you, are, are the people who are committed to seeing this thing through and to, to uh, advancing the kingdom through city lights in Greenville. And so <clears throat> most of you probably don't need to hear what I'm going to teach on today. But the cool thing about Scripture, the, the living, breathing Word of God, is that no matter how many times you hear a particular passage, um, the Holy Spirit is ready, willing, and able to speak to you something different through that passage. And so I hope that'll be the case today. It was for you. It was for me in preparation for this. Um, so I hope that even though you've probably heard this passage uh, a number of times, these verses a number of times, that this morning uh, the Holy Spirit will speak to you in a, in a different and, and, and maybe a dramatic way. Um, and, you know, in theological terms, that's called sanctification. The Holy Spirit never stops building you up and trying to make you look more like Jesus. And he does that through his written word, through his spoken word, um, and, and through um, your hearts and minds, as we'll, as we'll talk about uh, this morning. And uh, so sanctification is something that the church takes really seriously. And that's what this book, Ephesians, was actually designed to do. A lot of Paul's letters, 
he would write to address some specific issue that was going on in one of the local churches. Maybe it was heresy. Maybe there was conduct that was going on in that church that wasn't consistent with, with um, uh, the gospel. And so he would write a letter and say, um, here's what you're dealing with, and here's the way you ought to be dealing with this, and here's either why you're wrong, or here's what, what is going on that, doesn't need, that needs to stop. Ephesians is not that book. Ephesians, for the most part, is written to speak both to an individual and, and corporately to the, to the church uh, about understanding the, 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 the mysteries, the truths and the mysteries of life with God. And, and so it's a, it's a really cool book um, to just gain some insight and understanding into uh, the, the, what a life with God looks like. And that's really what we're going to talk, talk about this morning. Um, we've called this uh, uh, series Inherit, and we're going to get to that in a minute, um, in, in a little bit. Um, but if you, haven't, if you haven't heard the teaching on the first three and a half chapters in this book, um, I'm going to, or maybe you just don't remember them, um, I'm going to, I'm going to go over them just briefly because I think it sets up for us what we're, what we're talking about today. And, and, and by the way, I, I, I'm certainly not going to fuss at anybody about this, but, but my practice is I, I love to take notes. I'm a note taker. I did it all through college and law school and all of that. And I always take notes in a, in a, in a uh, sermon uh, or a teaching series. And the reason is because I can't remember everything that's said, and especially just in the last few months I've just been been seeking God's truth from the stage, and so I, I take a bunch of notes, and, and, and I used to not take notes in, in a sermon context, um, and, and then it struck me, the first time I ever taught was years and years ago, and as I was going through the scriptures, um, James 3 came to mind, and, and it did because in James 3, uh, James, uh, th- uh, the Holy Spirit through James gives a caution to anybody who teaches and, and basically says um, not many of you should become teachers. That's what James 3.1 says. But For we know that, that those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And so I always take teaching very seriously and I assume that whoever is teaching always takes it seriously. And so I heard a sermon one time and I, and I heard, a, heard a guy say that he was a big journaler. And at that point, I was not a journaler. I am now. Um, and the reason I am now is because after the sermon, he didn't say much more about it other than he has a daily journal. And after the sermon, I went up to him and I said, why, why, you know, why do you, I just can't get, I can't get motivated to, to journal every morning um, in, in my quiet time. And, and he, he just looked at me and he said, well, here's what I figured out. He said, if, if, if the creator of the universe is speaking to me, which we believe that he does through his spirit, if the creator of the universe is speaking to me, I think I ought to write that down. And so since then, I've done that. I'm, I'm going to encourage you to take notes, not, not necessarily today, but take notes when you hear the truth and you hear God's word spoken through, um, through teachers because my practice is when I hear a sermon here, I'm taking furious notes, and then in my quiet times, um, during the week, I go back to that, and I just meditate on what's been said, and I allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to me through, through those notes. I, I just encourage you to do that. 
So, but if you haven't taken notes over the last three, three chapters or you haven't gone to the podcast and, and listened to them again, uh, let, me, let me just talk to you for a minute about just this the last three chapters because it sets up chapter four uh, or the second half of chapter four uh, really well. Um, and, and here's a quick refresher. The, the reason why Paul um, didn't start chapter four uh, with what he says in the first three chapters with what he says in the second half of chapter four is because if you read it, and we'll go through it kind of line by line today, it looks like he's just talking about a bunch of rules and don't do this, don't do that. Um, and, and Christianity gets a, a big knock about being, for those of the, who are not followers, for being, uh, it's just a bunch of rules. It's, you just got to follow all these rules and, and I don't, I don't want to do that. So Paul doesn't start with rules, and by the way, spoiler alert, they're not rules. We're going to get to that uh, at the end, but Paul doesn't start that way. Paul starts in the first three chapters of, of Ephesians um, talking about uh, faith and what does what a true, genuine faith look like, and, and in chapter one, he talks about a faith that's more than just a faith that saves. It's more than just hell insurance. Um, much more than that. Um, he, he talks about a faith that causes you to know him better, to know Jesus, the person, better, uh, to know the hope uh, to which he's called you, to know the riches uh, to, uh, of his inheritance, and to know the incomparable power of him. And Paul even says it's power, that you have the same power inside you, if you have the Holy Spirit inside you, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a that's a crazy statement um, that we've got that same power. But, of course, the apostles in the early church, they raised people from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul just says, don't forget that. You've got that power um, inside you, and that's part of our inheritance is, is knowing that we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside. Then in chapter 2, uh, Oliver did a great job of talking about this death-to-life narrative um, not only just Jesus' death to life and his resurrection, but then, then our death to life, because Paul really clearly says that we were dead in our sins um, and that we, were, we rose again with Jesus uh, metaphorically, um, and he gave us life. And I liked it when Oliver said that, that his name is the only name that gives life, and that may, be, that may sound exclusive, which... Christianity gets that rap a lot, too, that we're this exclusive um, uh, movement that, that can't include anybody else, but we are. Uh, not that we can't include anybody else, but the message of the gospel um, says that Jesus is the only one that gives life. His name is the only one that gives life. Um, and Oliver also said uh, uh, that, that, well, he actually, he said Ephesians 2.8 um, and, and Micah's going to put that on the screen. Ephesians 2.8 uh, says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and, and not from yourselves, but the gift of God. Oliver said that that may be the most important Bible verse ever written uh, because it just presents the gospel right there. And then Oliver said, Grace isn't just a doctrine, it's the doctor. And he said, Grace is a person. And I just I thought that was so cool. And then lastly, he said, I'm not preaching Oliver's sermon this morning, by the way, but lastly, he said, may faith never become more than simply calling on the name of Jesus. And I just thought that just boils it down to its true essence. 
And then in the second half of Ephesians, we talk about family and belonging, and, and um, uh, Matt and Oliver mentioned that this morning, just belonging, and, and we talked about the currency of belonging. What does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? And belonging isn't determined by a connection with people or a place, but we belong anywhere we are because we belong to God. I thought that was just so profound. And then Ephesians 2.22 just sort of sums that thought up and says, we've been built together to become a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And finally, uh, faith and belonging is a decision to choose into the relationship. It's a decision we make to choose into the relationship and to move into, into Jesus. And then chapter 3, we talked about the nations, and I'm just so excited that we've decided as a board, as an elder board, that we are going to emphasize uh, missions uh, to the nations because if we, just, if we just stay in this auditorium and we don't go out in our neighborhoods and to the nations, then we're missing the whole point of the gospel. And we talked about the ministry of grace, and Oliver said how the ministry of grace just wrecks us. Um, he told that cool story about his dad who lied about his age to go into the, into the um, I think on the police force or some sort of law enforcement, and uh, he had to find, a, and that was just so dishonoring in, in that culture, in the Asian culture, just so dishonoring to, to do that when his dad didn't want him to do it, and he did it on his own, and he lied on his application, he went, he tried to find a place to stay, and, and, and uh, he couldn't afford the rent, and, and he went to the to, the, um, uh, to his landlord and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to pay you. I, I just, I can't afford it. And his landlord said, said, you don't need to pay me. Your dad has paid your rent. And so Oliver's question was, um, you know, in the context of grace like that, how do we become missionaries? How do we go out into the nations and, and, and be missionaries for Christ? And then he said, so much more joy, there's so much more joy to be empty for others than to be full for self. And, and he challenged us with, what is your mission? Who are you willing to empty yourself for? Um, and then Timothy, a couple weeks ago, just, I just loved his talk about worship. Um, and, and just coming from the heart of a guy who worship has had such an impact on his life um, and he talked about the power of singing and, and, and the intimacy of worship. And, and, and just, you know, you're not, you're not coming here to just sing songs. You're coming here to have an encounter with the living God. And we were talking uh, here, a few of us here, and, and the culture in, in, in this church and in a lot of other churches is you, you get here late. You know, we're supposed to start at 10, and everybody kind of walks in a little bit late. And we were just talking about, you know, if we announced that next Sunday Jesus was going to be here, at 10 o'clock, um, you guys would be lining up at the door, you know, at 9 o'clock to, to see him. Um, and, but that's what worship is supposed to be. It's supposed to be an encounter with the living God. And, and that's, what, that's what I try when I come to think I am going to have a face-to-face, mind-to-mind, heart-to-heart encounter with Jesus. And, and that's what worship is, is to me. Uh, and so... Uh, Timothy just said, we're, you know, we're called to worship. It's an expression of reverence and thankfulness to the one who's given us so much. And then last week, Oliver um, talked about the five-fold ministry and apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And, and what, I, what I thought was really cool, he said, if you're one of those, that is awesome. 
If you're one of those, that is so cool. But don't forget, you're, you're only hearing 20% of the conversation because there are others in the church who have other gifts and other strengths that, that need to speak into the life of the church. So, today, uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 32 is what we're going to be going through. Um, and I told you that, it, that it, it, at first glance, if you just picked this up and took it out of context after the first and didn't read the first three chapters, you would say, okay, here we go. Here are the, here are the rules um, that we have to follow. Uh, and, and to the world, that's, that's what this looks like, is just a bunch of rules. And I pulled the definition of rules, and it, 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 Merriam-Webster says, a, a set of explicit or understood regulations governing conduct. Some of the synonyms that they used were regulation, directive, order, edict, mandate, requirement. And so to the world, Christianity is about following a bunch of rules. But Christianity and following Jesus doesn't have anything to do with rules. And Paul's going to show us, he's going to show us how um, what, sits, what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Um, and it's not about rules. He's going to show us something that absolutely and fundamentally separates the Christian message, the gospel message, from every other religion in the world. In fact, it just returns, it turns religion upside down on its head. So let's get to the, let's get to the meat of it. Verse 17 um, uh, is, uh, and, and this is the, the ESV, uh, verse 17 uh, says, uh, now I say and, and testify in the Lord that you must uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. Now, let me, let's, let's break that down just, just a little bit. Um, when he says, uh, I may testify, that word is um, martyromaya, uh, which in, in Greek, which means to be a witness. And we all know that, to be a witness. But the word witness is the word we use for martyr. I think you'd heard Chris say that before from, from the pulpit. It's the word we use for martyr, which means, of course, giving your life. So, so Paul is just starting off this passage saying, I give my life to this. What I'm about to tell you, I'm giving my life to this, and, and you should too. Um, and and he, he talks about Gentiles, and, and the, the very simple definition of Gentiles for our purposes this morning is just anybody who doesn't know God. Anybody who is outside the family of God. He's not talking about a particular race or just anybody who doesn't have a personal relationship with the living God is a Gentile. And so he says in verse 18, he's talking about Gentiles, he said they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. They're separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In the ESV version, it says their hardness of heart. You know, when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about God hardening their hearts. We're talking about hardening of their own hearts. So let me break this down ju just for a second because I want you to see the cause and effect here. There is a condition that exists um, that is the result of either action or inaction, uh, or a combination of, of both on the part of the Gentile, the person who, who doesn't know God. The condition is living a life without God, living outside 
of, of the life of God, um, which includes but is not limited to, I know that sounds like a lawyer, includes but not limited to futile thinking and darkened understanding. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Well, I read some commentaries on it. It basically said that to a Gentile, to somebody outside the life of God, the whole concept of God is, is uh, intellectually frustrating, um, useless, and meaningless. Well, let's think about that just in, in our daily lives. Um, is, is the absence of God intellectually frustrating? Well, I believe it is. Let's take science, for example. Um, the Big Bang Theory. I'm not here to talk about all of that except saying if it's real, if the Big Bang Theory occurred, nobody knows what caused the Big Bang. So that's frustrating for scientists. And I hear all the time, we're going to find out soon what, you know, what was before the Big Bang and what caused the Big Bang. But so far, that is intellectually frustrating to take God out of that equation and say, it, it, well, we know it wasn't God, but we don't know what it was. That's just frustrating for a, for a non-believer. Um, the conditions to sustain life on earth. I mean, there's some crazy number like there are 50 to 100 conditions that if they were off just in a minuscule way, the distance of the earth from the sun, the distance of the moon from the earth, the, the amount of carbon and, and all that in the earth's atmosphere, if it was off by just a tiny infinitesimal amount, life would not exist on earth. Um, I didn't know this, but uh, water is a mystery to science. I mean, the, the most prevalent liquid and chemical on earth is a mystery to science because there's a, there's a simple principle that liquid fills less volume when it freezes into a solid. I didn't know that, but that's just a simple scientific principle. Liquid fills less volume when it freezes into a solid, not water. Water expands. Anybody had a Coke in the freezer one time and, you know, it, it explodes? Water doesn't follow that same principles, and scientists don't know why. They can't figure that out. Um, light. Light is both a particle and a wave, and scientists can't figure out how it operates as both. Um, uh, you know, notice I'm used to light and water that are very prevalent in Scripture, and I don't think that's by mistake. Um, let's talk about morality. How is, it in, how is the absence of God intellectually frustrating from a moral standpoint? Well, because there's really no reason to have right and wrong without God. Um, just no reason to do it. it, it just, uh, I mean, if it's survival of the fittest then, and, it, and it's moral relativism, then, and God take, take God out of the picture, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just intellectually um, dishonest to say that there's a moral code. And some people want to say, well, it's just a social construct that we made to, to, keep, you know, to keep civility going. No, that's, that's, you look through history, that doesn't work. Um, and so it's intellectually frustrating. And just finally, just spiritual things in general are intellectually frustrating to the non-believer. All of you have had conversations with, with non-believers um, who they just, you start talking about spiritual things and it just, it's, they look at you and it's just, or it's awkward and it, it, it just doesn't, it, it just, there's no connection there. And so it's frustrating to a non-believer um, uh, to, to, to the absence of God is intellectually frustrating to a non-believer. So that's the condition, the absence of God. The cause is, Paul says, ignorance due to hardness of their hearts. And, and in this context, ignorance is not just the, 
Oh, he just didn't know. Because that, that's a legitimate thing. Innocent ignorance is a legitimate thing. Um, no, Paul is talking about um, uh, ignorance due, due to, and he says, due to their hardness of hearts. In fact, the, he means the failure to, to look and see what's right in front of you or, or to seek the truth, the failure to seek the truth. Moral unresponsiveness is what one commentary called what Paul's talking about there. It's the failure to respond to the pursuit of God. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the ignorance that Paul is talking about. And then Paul goes on in verse 19, uh, and this is the ESV version, but it says that, that becomes becomes callous. That, that word is translated as apathetic. Apathetic and have given themselves up to, and then, then of course you see the list there uh, in, in 19, uh, given themselves up to you know, sensuality and, and to indulge in every kind of impurity. I'm reading from the NIV. Sorry about that, Micah. But, but give, give yourself up to things not of God. Um, and so uh, what, does that, what does that mean? Um, well, what Paul does, instead of going any further there, Paul then kind of turns it around and says, um, uh, he, well, he gives us a, a picture of what life outside God looks like. Um, he talks about greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Um, uh, in other words, those outside the life of God have this, this um, pursuit of pleasure uh, that, that drives them. Uh, and uh, it, 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 they have this essential this uh, desire for the essential pleasures, um, it's kind of a hyper-craving for something to fill, to fill the void. Um, and, and so where do those cravings come from? What is the, what's the point Paul is trying to make? Where do those cravings come from? Well, in verse 18, he tells you, go back to 18, he says they've been alienated from the life of God. So the, the cravings for us, these essential pleasures and, and the pleasure that drives a person outside the life of God um, arises from an absence of God. Because um, here's the thing, guys. We were created by God, for God, and when we're one with him, then our hearts and our souls are satisfied. Because w there's no way that our hearts and souls can be satisfied if we were created for God and we don't have God in our lives. Um, and by rejecting God, uh, you give up this soul-satisfying life. You give up a relationship um, that, that nothing else can satisfy. And you've all heard this analogy, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart that only he can fill. And that's, that's true, and that's what I'm talking about. Um, and you can all think of examples of people um, who have this God-shaped hole and they're trying to fill it with sometimes good things, trying to fill it with family, uh, trying to fill it with um, uh, their kids. Maybe they have a child-centered uh, family where the child is the center of the family um, to, a, to a bad degree. Uh, or money. Uh, they're trying to fill that hole with money. Uh, maybe it's approval. Maybe it's drugs. Wh whatever it is, you're trying to fill that hole. And what, what you're really searching for, if you're outside the life of God and you don't even know, what you're really surfing, serving, searching for is God. You're searching for his affection, for his affirmation, uh, and ultimately his love. So, 
So Paul sort of has this bleak picture of, of what life outside God looks like. And, 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 but then he gives us the solution. Um, in verse 20, uh, he says, uh, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. So what he's saying is that you, being a believer, you've got an inside track to God. You've got an inside track to knowing God. Um, and that inside track um, has made you new. Uh, he says, uh, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. Let's unpack that. Um, first of all, you've heard of him. Uh, the Gentiles maybe hadn't heard of God, maybe they had, but you heard of him and you responded to hearing. Uh, somebody told you about Jesus. Uh, maybe it was your parents. Maybe it, you heard it from the stage. Maybe you heard it from a friend, but there was a relationship there where you found out about Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. He's talking to the church and he's saying, you've heard of him um, through somebody uh, and you pursued him and you were taught the truth that's in him, in Jesus. Now, when Paul uses Jesus here, guys, he's not talking, he's talking about the man God, Jesus. He, is not, he usually uses the word Christ um, when he's talking about um, the, the, the Christ as, as the Messiah, um, kind of after the fact. Uh, but here he's talking about Jesus as the man and his life on earth, the man God and his life on earth. And that's important to distinguish because, because when he says you've heard of him and the truth that is in Jesus, what he's talking about is they had been taught the life and the story of Jesus and his time here on earth. Um, and and and. If you need a reminder why to read Scripture, there you go. Because Paul is saying that you can only get to the point where we're headed, and we'll get there in a minute, as to, as to what life with God looks like by hearing and studying the life of Jesus in Scripture. Um, so they were taught the story of Jesus' life. Um, and when you're taught that story, then you see the beauty, the goodness, the compassion, and the power of God on display. And you see that in the life of Jesus. And when you see that, and when you understand that, then our hearts and our minds are changed. And they're changed forever. So Paul is saying, okay, you, you heard of him, and you were taught the truth that is in him. The truth that was in the man as he walked on the face of the earth. You know, and, and, and so you have been changed by that. You have been dramatically changed. Um, there are some epic movies that my children probably enjoy more than I do, um, but I've watched them with them. We used to have uh, movie night every Friday night, and, and we'd watch them. And, and the first one is um, Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, they would accuse me of not being able to make it till the end of each movie because they're all about five hours long, I think. Um, but uh, Frodo, is, of course, the main character, uh, one of the main characters in Lord of the Rings, I think we got a picture of old Frodo uh, here, um, but there we go. Um, Frodo's life, he got caught up into something that was so much bigger than himself. I mean, he's just a simple dude from the Shire, and he gets caught up in this epic adventure. 
And the epic adventure changes his life forever. Um, and, and, and I don't know that, uh, well, that's all I'll say about that. It just changes his life forever. There's another movie, um, a series of movies, um, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe sort of series, where the same thing happens. Um, the characters, um, that they, uh, they start off. Uh, here's a picture of them that I found. I'm sorry it's so blurry. But this is kind of right at the beginning of the story where they're just, you can see, they're just scared to death. Um, they've, they've entered into this world through the wardrobe, and uh, I think this is the first time they encounter, I can't remember who they encounter, but you can, huh? The beavers, yeah, talking beavers, that's right. And, and they're just scared to death. And, and, and you can see the fear in their eyes. Um, they're not sure what to think of this. Well, by the end of the story, this epic adventure that they've been on with the witch and, and all of that, it has changed them. It has changed their lives. And so they now become um, something different. Uh, and, and now they are kings and queens and princes and princesses. Um, and then Aslan's in there, of course, uh, who represents Jesus. But the, this story that they were caught up in completely changed the course of their history. And that's what Paul is saying in these first couple of sentences is the story of Jesus completely can, can completely change your hearts and your minds. Um, and guys, we're not talking about uh, behavior modification. We're not talking about just changing the way you act. We're talking about soul transformation. And it's at a core level. We're talking about the Spirit of God uses the story of God to make the beauty of God come alive in our hearts. That's what we're talking about. And so Paul says, if you don't know it, learn the story of Jesus um, and look at it, uh, and it'll change your life. Uh, so learn the story of Jesus. Now, verse 22, um, he says, and then, then he gets into as far as your former life. Um, because he wants to, he's transitioning now into looking at change that can occur and, and what that looks like. So, so as for your former life, uh, uh, put off old self, uh, which belongs to your former uh, manner of life uh, and is corrupt through deceitful, what is that word? Uh, desires. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Michael, it needs to be a little bigger back there. It's all the way in the back. Um, uh, and, and he says, he, he, so he's talking about your old self will be renewed. Um, and in the verse 23, uh, he says, renewed uh, in, the, in the spirit of your minds. Um, the spirit of your minds. Um, created, put on a new self, he says, created to be like God, true righteousness and holiness. Um, so, Here's the first takeaway that, that I want you to understand from what Paul is saying right here. Um, that, uh, if, if we can put that on the screen, yeah. Um, renewal of the mind is a process where believers begin to think in new and right ways as they meditate on the truths of God's word and enter into and dwell in a life with God. So that's what Paul is talking about here. Um, you have this former life, you see and read and be engaged and caught up in the story of Jesus, 
um, and you put on a new self. You throw off the old self and you put on a new self. That, that phrase, put off, means to remove and completely disregard. That's what the Greek means, to remove and completely disregard. He uses that phrase a, a few times in here. Um, so that's my first takeaway uh, fr from this. So Paul is saying the only way to be completely transformed is a renewal of both heart and mind. Um, and that's the whole idea of Ephesians, guys. Um, uh, that's why the, the moral instructions that, that we're about to look at um, come in chapter 4 and not in chapters 1 through 3 because it's only after Paul saturates us and we saturate ourselves with the gospel for the first three chapters that I talked about just, just a few minutes ago uh, and only after the Spirit of God has renewed us will our hearts and our minds be truly transformed. So, now, in the rest of the chapter, Paul gives us an example of what, what gospel change looks like. So, if you truly have had your hearts and your minds transformed, and it's a core transformation, this is what life with God is going to look like. It's not rules to follow. It's things that will naturally come out of you, and he wants to remind us about that. So, the first is verse 25. Um, so, therefore... Okay, therefore is a transition word, meaning, all right, since you've now been renewed and your minds and hearts have been renewed, therefore put off falsehood and speak truthfully. Um, and I sort of paraphrase that. Um, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Satan is called the great deceiver, the liar. You've heard people say, don't believe the lie. Um, we're talking about serious stuff here, truth versus lie. And how can we call ourselves followers of Jesus if we're not truthful? Just in our daily walk, just in our, with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, if, if we're not truthful, if we're not speaking, I'm not talking about the truth necessarily. I'm talking about just being truthful. You know, there's a, a scripture verse I can't call it to mind, but, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I heard somebody the other day talking about somebody, I'm sure it was in the political realm, and they said, you know, this guy will lie even when the truth helps him. Um, and, and as believers, we just can't, we just can't, we can't do that. Um, uh, so Paul's reminding us, be truthful. Uh, now, anger. Uh, th there's a, I will tell you, so verse, verse 26 and 27 uh, says, uh, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Uh, do not give the devil a foothold. I will tell you, there is at least, in, in, from what I've read, there's a debate about whether or not a Christian, a follower of Jesus, can become angry. Um, I mean, look here. Paul says, in your anger, which assumes that you're going to get angry at times. Then later on, in verse... Um, uh, in verse 31, we'll get to in a minute, he says, no, no, get rid of anger. Don't even, don't even go there. But of course, Jesus was angry when he was in the temple and he threw the, threw the people out of the temple. He was angry. So the, the, the question is, can we be anger, angry or not? But actually, I don't think that's the question. I think the question is um, that Scripture teaches... Uh, that anger is extremely dangerous. Whether we have a hard and fast rule of Christians should never be angry or not, I don't think that matters. What Paul is saying is anger 
is dangerous. It can be very dangerous. And why is it dangerous? Because our anger, unlike Jesus' anger, our anger is typically self-motivated. It's, it's typically something that is a selfish anger on our part. And what do I mean by that? Well, um, it's usually designed to strike back or to punish. It's hardly ever designed for edification or righteous indignance that is designed to build people up. It's usually designed to tear people down. And so Paul is saying, just be careful about anger. And, and in the context of marriage, you know, the, you've heard, I, I assume you've heard, don't let, your, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Um, in the context of marriage or intimate relationships, friends, um, parents and child, don't, he's saying, if, you're gonna, if you get angry, and maybe there's a good reason for it, but don't let that fester. Um, you've got to take care of it, and don't let the sun go down on it. Cure it before you go to bed. Um, Paul, I think, is saying here, be more concerned about bringing healing to the other person than vindicating yourself. That's why anger is so, so dangerous. Uh, stealing, verse 28 uh, verse 28 um, says, uh, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Th this is interesting. You know, we've got the Ten Commandments and thou shalt not steal, and, and everybody knows stealing is wrong. But what Paul's saying here is really interesting. He's not saying don't steal because you might get caught or don't steal because... Um, I said so. Uh, you know, as parents, um, I've been, I've, I know I've said it before, don't do something just because I said so. I just know better than you, and I don't have time to explain Just don't do it. That's not what Paul's talking about here. L look further in, in, into the verse. Um, he says, don't steal, which he's assuming here that you're stealing to support yourself um, because he, he, he has an admonition here. No, 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 don't steal. Go to work. Do something useful, and look here, guys, so that you have something to share. He says, do something useful um, that he may have something to share with those in need. So this isn't a don't steal so you won't get caught. That might look bad to, for your witness. You know how we say, oh, that, that'll affect your witness. Can't do that. That might affect your witness. He's saying, don't steal. Work so that you can share. Work, make money so you can share with people in need. You see, gospel change, kingdom transformation, isn't inward focused. Um, don't steal because you might get caught. That's inward focused. True gospel change is outward or others focused. Work so you can share with others. That's what Paul's telling us there. Um, unwholesome talk, uh, which is different from untruthfulness, unwholesome talk. Uh, in verse 29, uh, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Are y'all kind of seeing the pattern here? It's not unwholesome talk. You know, good girls don't talk like that. Um, you, you know, which maybe your mom's said that to you. Or it's not the whole, you know, Forrest Gump thing. You know, pretty is as pretty does. Um, it, it is, that's not it at all. Um, Whole, unwholesome talk usually leads to gossip, 
And gossip usually leads to tearing people down. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. With gospel change, the reason you don't do unwholesome talk, the reason you don't gossip, the reason you don't tear people down is because if you've truly been transformed in your heart and your mind, um, then you're focused on others. And, and you're, you want to speak in such a way that it's helpful for building others up according to their needs, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So again, it's gospel change, renewed hearts and minds. We're focusing on others. What is in that person's best interest? And here's the thing, guys. Guys who talk about, I mean, people who talk about people all the time, when you're not with them, they're talking about you. And it just, it's just not good. And so, so, we're trying to meet needs and build each other up and encourage each other. Um, and then he says something really odd in the next, in the next verse, in verse 30. He says, uh, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's kinda, it's kind of weird, that in, at least in the world perspective, he's got all these rules. Um, and then he goes, but, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the definition of grieve means to uh, cause sorrow over sin. That's, that's, the, that's the context that you, it's used here, is to cause sorrow over sin. Sorrow over something that someone has done usually means that there's been a, a, a rip or a tear in the relationship. Um, it's not you broke a rule, uh, you know, you must be punished. It is... There's this grief or sorrow over something somebody's done. Um, when, when my kids were growing up, um, uh, and Graham, who's here, can attest to this, we spanked. Um, it wasn't very often, um, but, but we did. Um, and usually, spankings were only done when they were very young, and they were done because they broke a rule. Uh, we had certain boundaries. Usually, it had to do with safety. Um, it wasn't just, just willy-nilly. And, and, and so... Yeah, they broke a rule, um, and, and they needed to learn that that was a boundary, that was a rule, a boundary they couldn't cross, a rule they couldn't break, because it was a family rule and a, and a safety rule. Um, and I didn't, I didn't like spanking my children, and I felt bad in, on some level about it, even though I knew what, what I was doing was in their best interest. But it didn't grieve me. I, I wasn't sorrowful at what they did at a sin they committed or a rule they broke. Now, as they grew up and as they matured and as our relationship became more intimate, away from really parent-child and more, um, uh, you know, kind of coach and friend and, and that type thing, as, as we, as we become, became more intimate in our relationship, then sin grieved me as a parent because... Usually it was, a, it was a trust thing. Trust had been broken in something they had done. And that grieved me. I mean, it grieved my heart because there was this, there was this break in the relationship. Um, now, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a forever break, but it was, it was something that just grieved my heart. And I was sorrowful because the relationship had been damaged. Well, Paul here is reminding us that the Holy Spirit is a person. Um, and the relationship... If you have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit, um, your sin grieves him. 
because it, it, it just, it's just this tear and this break in the relationship. And so he's just reminding us, and he says, he says in verse 31, um, get rid of all of that stuff. Why would, you, why would you gamble on breaking a relationship or damaging a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Um, so, last verse. Um, are you coming up because I'm, well, I'm just about done? Oh, Lord, I am. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. No, I was going to call you up just a second. Um, so, uh, here's, here's, the, here's kind of the kicker, guys. The last verse of chapter 4 uh, says, uh, uh, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ forgave you. Forgiving each other just as in Christ forgave you. Um, Paul just finished showing you how gospel change leads to transformation, this outward focus that I was talking about, um, and what life with God looks like. But then he turns it around in his last, last verse, he turns it around and says um, that, that true gospel change, if you want to look into the window of someone's heart, look to see, if you really want to look to see if true transformation has occurred, then don't look at their behavior, just generally. Don't look at their behavior. Look at their response to when someone has sinned against them. Um, what is the response of soul transformation to sins against you? Is it an eye for an eye? Or you hurt me, so I hurt you? What Paul says is, no, it's kindness, it's compassion, it's forgiveness. And what kind of forgiveness? Not half-hearted Okay, I, I'm told to forgive. I'll, I'll forgive. It's, it's, it's um, what does Paul say? It is from the heart. It is um, be kind and compassionate to one another, uh, forgiving each other just as in Christ Jesus forgave you. That's a high bar, just as Christ Jesus forgave you. Um, if you want to look at true forgiveness, look at Matthew 18 in the story. I don't have time to go over today in the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, where uh, uh, just look at that and, and, and read that with an open mind because it will, it will blow you away um, how uh, God forgives us and, and how Jesus just told Peter, who thought he was being generous, saying that we can forgive seven times because three times was the deal in Judaism. If you, get, if you forgave three times, you were good. Peter says, hey, how about seven times? And Jesus said, no, 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 you still don't get it. It's seven times 70, which is, which is just unthinkable uh, back then so let me let me wind up here um, as best I can and say um, here's my second takeaway uh, uh, if you're not naturally forgiving and generous loving and compassionate toward others then there may not have been a true transformation of your heart um, and my second takeaway is this uh, true heart mind and soul transformation begins when we grasp the depth of of his love for us and the extent to which he forgave us. Um, so the question I started with this, what does this have to do with inheritance? The question, I, I mean, the statement I gave you was that Christianity is distinct from every other religion. Um, in the language of our, ser our series, uh, that's inheritance. What makes Christianity different from every other religion? It's grace. Grace is our inheritance, and that's what Paul's trying to tell you. It's a, 
It's a morality that's totally different from every other religion. Um, so guys, here's, here's the challenge to you this morning, my third takeaway. On an individual level, not as a body of Christ, as you're sitting in your seat today on an individual level, what is going to be your response to grace? See, good works don't lead, lead to salvation. Good works transform the heart and mind and flow from salvation. You know, I'll, I'll leave you with this. The last Martin Luther, he was chastised one time for teaching that salvation is a free gift. Um, and, and the church said to him, yeah, but if you tell them it's a free gift and they're just going to go around and do anything they want to do. And he said, nope. He said, if you see Christ for who He is, the one who renews hearts and minds, then they'll do whatever He wants. So, what's it going to be? How will you respond to grace? This week, at work, in your family, people you meet, how are you going to respond to grace? Um, you see, that question is going to be answered by your family and your friends and your co-workers. So as we, as we sing this last song, I want you to think about that. How are you going to respond to grace? What are you going to do this week to respond to the one, not out of duty, but out of devotion to the one who's done so much for you? Thanks for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please subscribe and leave us feedback on our iTunes channel. For more information about our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. Thanks again for exalting Jesus with us.